welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company I have personally loved for years and that continues to just get better and better. I use their free app all the time to order my pantry staples and to order products from companies that I love. And I always turn to their Thrive Market brand for even better discounts. Here's a tip. Use the app like you would use a shopping list. Add things as you think of them or as you run out or as you meal plan. Then once you hit the threshold to get free shipping, your order will be ready to go. And here's another secret. Thrive often runs free gift with purchase offers just for members as a thank you. So keep an eye out for those and take advantage of ordering when it's something that you like. I usually choose to order on days when there's a gift I love, when I've already reached the free shipping threshold, and I've gotten some awesome free products over the years by doing this. You can find out more about all of these and get an extra discount if it's your first order by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. Again, that's thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. This episode is brought to you by Kettle and Fire Bone Broth and Soups. I have used these products for years and I always keep my pantry well stocked. They have chicken bone broth, beef bone broth, and a new chicken mushroom bone broth, which is delicious. Those are all great as a base for soups or even just sipped on their own. But Kettle and Fire also now has tomato, butternut, and miso soups, which are often incorporated as part of a meal in our house. Their newest products are a grass-fed chili and a Thai chicken soup. These are great meals all on their own, and they make last-minute dinner so easy at my house. Their broths are made from grass-fed and pastured animal bones, and they're a great source of collagen and amino acids like proline and glycine. I incorporate collagen in some form every day, and Kettle and Fire makes it super tasty to do this. You can learn more. Go to kettleandfire.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama20 to save 20% on your order. So again, Kettle and Fire, all spelled out K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com forward slash wellnessmama and make sure to use the code wellnessmama20 to save 20%. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and today I'm joined by my friend Ben Greenfield. He's a dear personal friend and a prominent voice in the health world. I'm going to brag on him for just a minute so you know just how qualified and wicked smart he is and probably because he won't share all of this himself. He is a lifelong complete nerd, which I can say because I'm one too. He graduated high school at 15, started college at 16. He studied anatomy, physiology, biomechanics, pharmaceuticals, microbiology, biochemistry, and nutrition, eventually rising to the top of his class, completing an internship at Duke and the National Football League, and graduating in 2004 at 20 years old as the top senior in his class. He was then accepted into six medical schools but opted instead to get a master's degree in exercise physiology and biomechanics, after which he leapt hardcore into the fitness world, partnering with doctors and opening a series of gyms, personal training studios, and labs across the country. He was voted America's top personal trainer in 2008. Then he became the father of twin sons, which I think he would consider one of his most important jobs, and pivoted into media, writing, speaking, and consulting, launching one of the world's first fitness podcasts, which I highly recommend, becoming a New York Times bestselling author of Beyond Training and 13 other books, designing and creating the Christian Gratitude Journal, and starting a blog that now reaches millions each month. He also, you know, in his free time, a professional obstacle course racer, completing the coveted Spartan Delta, along with training with Navy SEALs and many other feats across the country. 
recently also the founder of Keon, Ben now creates step-by-step solutions from supplements and fitness gear to coaching and consulting for the world's hard-charging high achievers to achieve a truly limitless life. He also shares my focus on one of the most important things in life, which is raising exceptional children who can improve our world, and which I've seen in person in his amazing home where he lives with his wife, Jessa, who is equally amazing, and their twin boys. So today we're going to delve into biohacking, anti-aging, and raising amazing kids. Welcome, Ben, and thanks for being here. Wow. What a what an intro. That That was exhausting to listen to. <laughs> well, you did it all. I can only imagine how exhausting it was to do. <laughs> Um, All right. So there's so much I want to talk to you about. But to start, I want to get an update. I do this every time I talk to you on a topic we share a passion for, which is biohacking or the using science and technology to make life better. So what are the latest and greatest ways that you are staying healthy in the newest biohacking things you're researching? (laughs) Well, uh, let, let me let me issue a caveat before I tell you. And that is that I by no means think that you need to spend thousands of dollars on fancy medical technologies and self upgrades to be healthy or to increase your lifespan. Uh, there's there's plenty to be had for free, uh, such as getting outside barefoot or taking a cold shower or drinking good, clean, pure water that you add some minerals to, or getting your daily dose of sunshine, uh, making sure you you uh, have all the relationships in your life just set up as, as well as you possibly can, and you've got love and, and happiness and purpose pouring into your life all day long. And provided that you've taken care of that, that uh, natural, ancestral, easy and simple approach to optimizing your wellness, then yeah, I mean, there, there are some pretty cool things you can do to take yourself to the next level. Um, let me think of a few that, that I've got that I've been doing lately. Actually, one, one was this morning. I, um, you know, I travel a lot, a lot. And so in many cases, I need to work on my circadian rhythm and removing inflammation from my body and uh, also improving the health of my mitochondria. And one of the ways that I do that when I'm sipping my morning coffee, uh, what I'm doing now, and this, this sounds a little bit laborious, but it only takes like two minutes when I walk into my office to set up, is I have one of these infrared light panels that produces red light and near infrared light. Now, I use one made by this company called Juve, and I have two of them. One behind me, and then one slightly shorter one in front of me. So I, I'm kind of sandwiched in between these two light panels while I'm sipping my coffee and reading through research and checking some emails and things like that. And I flip these things on. And so my body is just bathed in red and infrared light. It, and it, that activates something called cytochrome C oxidase in your mitochondria. So it just turns on your body and it increases your nitric oxide production too. So you kind of get that effect that's like Viagra for your whole body. And then what I do is I have a little in-ear light device called a human charger and also uh, an eye device called the retimer. And the human charger makes a kind of like a white light that blasts the photoreceptors in your ears uh, to realign your circadian rhythm. And it's also very good for seasonal affective disorder. You know, I live out in the middle of the forest and I'm looking out the window right now. You know, it's foggy. 
we're on like a north facing slope. We only get sun from 10 to two, you know, sometimes less than that in the winter. So, you know, that, that that's important too, to, to kind of simulate the sunshine in my ears. And then this, these glasses I wear, they're called retimers and those produce light from what's called the greenish blue wave spectrum, which is very, uh, it, it's, it's not very harsh on your retina. So uh, as compared to like these bright blue light boxes that you'll get on Amazon, for example, for seasonal affective disorder. Uh, and finally, for the for the uh, the cherry on top of the cupcake, I put on a device that was originally designed to uh, control or, or or to really improve cognition and dementia in Alzheimer's patients, uh, but also to do things like enhance your ability to be able to enter a meditative state shut down inflammation in neural tissue and increase the mitochondrial activity and nitric oxide production in your brain. And that's called a Vi-Light, V-I-E light. And so essentially I am blasting my entire body for 20 minutes with as many therapeutic spectrums of light as possible. And you finish that up and you just feel like your whole body has been, has been cleared. It's like a cup of coffee for your whole body, which of course, if you're sipping coffee as well, you're getting a double whammy effect. So, so in review, it's, it's uh, two juve lights, one behind me, one in front of me, the in-ear charger in my ears, the glasses on my head and the violet on top of my skull. And Man, that that sounds kind of silly, but it's it's a great way to kind of wake up and start the day. And man, oh man, if you need to let let's say for example, you've been traveling a lot, you've been traveling, we'll say uh, back east, and then you travel back west, and you've been waking up in the east at seven a.m. But now you're back home in, say, California, and gosh darn it, now you're waking up at 4 a.m. and it annoys you because you're still on East time. What you do is when you wake up at 4 a.m., just kind of keep yourself in bed or, or get up and do whatever you're going to do, but put on some blue light blocking glasses so that your body is not getting any light signals at all. And try and stay away from screens and try to keep the lights dim in your home as much as possible. And as soon as the time rolls around that you actually do want to wake up, you know, this is called retiming your circadian rhythm. At that point, you blast yourself with light, you know, and, and of course, as I alluded to earlier, you can certainly, if you live in Florida, just get out in the sunshine and go for a walk. You don't have to, you know, spend 2000 bucks on all these light devices, uh, but, but it works very well for kind of realigning your circadian rhythm. So I realize I've only just given you one example, but uh, I'll, I'll stop there. So I'm not droning on for too long. No, I think that's such an important one and a great reminder that if you live in a sunny climate or during the summer, that's a completely free one that most of us don't remember to take advantage of often enough. I'm a big fan of the Juve as well, and I use it daily. And I, I know a lot of listeners have tried it as well, but for people who aren't familiar or more often I hear from people who kind of doubt that light can have such a dramatic impact on the body. Can you talk us through a little bit just what, especially the Juve, the photobiomodulation, that red light, what it's actually doing in our cells? Certainly. And if you would like to take a deep dive into some of the better papers on this, look up the work of Dr. Michael Hamblin, H-A-M-B-L-I-N. He probably has the the largest body of research currently on, on photobiomodulation that, that I know of. And uh, what, what's occurring is when this spectrum of light, uh, typically it's a spectrum of about uh, it, it should be somewhere around 700 to, I believe it tops off around 850, what's called a nanometers for your wavelength of light. Uh, what, what occurs is a, there is increased activity in response to the light photons 
of something called cytochrome C oxidase, which is a component of your mitochondria, and it increases mitochondrial activity. So you get increased aerobic respiration, increased uh, production of ATP, more oxygen and nutrients delivered to tissue. And then when it, when it works on the skin level, you get an increase in the activity of cells responsible for, uh, for collagen. So, so you get better elastin and fibrin activity or, or formation laid down on like skin, areas of scar tissue, et cetera. Uh, it can also act to increase thyroid activity if you have the light placed about six inches or so from your thyroid gland. Uh, it can work, like I mentioned, too, because you're opening up your, your, your blood vessels actually have photoreceptors on the actual surface of the blood vessel, and these can respond to light and vasodilate by producing nitric oxide. So there's a blood pressure lowering effect and also an increase in cardiovascular health overall due to that, that release of, of nitric oxide. Which, uh, like, like I said earlier, you know, I like to think of it like, like Viagra for your whole body. Uh, and then when it comes to, to the neural effect, there's a real increase in cerebral blood flow, which is probably one of the reasons that, that the, uh, the one that I mentioned, the Violite, is so effective for like, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia patients or, you know, when your brain's a little foggy, that type of thing. There's also some research that shows that, and, and this is why I take my clothing off when I stand in front of these lights, I do it naked. Because uh, when those wavelengths hit uh, the testes, there are cells in your in in a in the testes uh, called Leydig cells, and those cells have mitochondria too, and so this can increase sperm production and also spark an increase in testosterone production. And uh, ma many men who I work with, and a lot of guys will use this type of strategy as a natural way to increase testosterone. I mean, there's research going all the way back to the 40s with sunlight exposure on the gonads showing increased testosterone. They just the, the, the little fellas respond pretty well to wavelengths of light. And so there's, there's kind of a libido or testosterone enhancing effect as well. Uh, but you know, there, there, there's a lot more, but those are a few of the biggies. And again, Michael Hamblin's research, some of the articles on the, on the Juve website, uh, admittedly, when you go to the website of someone who manufactures light devices, you always need to look at things with a, with a wary eyes, you know, they're, they're always going to be slightly biased, but I mean, it, the, the term you'd want to look up, uh, in addition to Dr. Michael Hamblin, if you were to do like a Google Scholar search for this or want to get more research would be photobiomodulation, photobiomodulation. It's also abbreviated PBM. And uh, there, there's, there's plenty of data out there that you can find that's unbiased in terms of studies on this. Yeah, for sure. And it's important that you mention the testosterone because the most recent stats I've seen are that men of the current generation have, I believe, a third of the testosterone that their grandfathers did. So we've seen like a really drastic reduction in this in only a couple of generations. And anytime there's that big of a decline in anything, it always makes me really curious what's going on. I'm so grateful there are things like this or just different lifestyle interventions that we can do that help men to recover that and women also seeing lower testosterone. But do you have any idea or theory of why we're seeing such a decline in testosterone and how guys can combat that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, the problem is you're seeing a decline in both total testosterone and free testosterone because the decline in total testosterone is typically due to lifestyle factors. You know, you have what's called your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis, and under times of stress, particularly chronic stress, uh, in addition to things like inadequate fatty acid intake, which is very typical of a westernized diet. Um, sometimes mold and mycotoxin exposure, which is an increasing issue in a post-industrial era, 
uh, electromagnetism, uh, specifically EMFs, uh, higher frequency EMFs from cell phones, Wi-Fi, etc. A lot of these things introduced chronic stress to the body that wind up causing you to upregulate both cortisol, which kind of kind of shifts your pathways away from testosterone production. And that chronic stress also tends to amplify something called sex hormone binding globulin or SHBG. Because if you think about it, what SHBG does, as the name implies, it binds to the total testosterone and keeps that from being bioavailable in the form of free testosterone. And so the sex hormone binding globulin goes up because from, from an evolutionary or ancestral standpoint, your body wouldn't want you to be making babies in a time of stress or famine or plague or, you know, something else that was assailing the body. So it downregulates fertility. So from a chronic stress standpoint, you see the decrease in total testosterone that then leads to the increase in cortisol and sex hormone binding globulin, thus then downregulating free testosterone. And to make matters worse, as you're exposed to plastics, personal care products, what are called phytoestrogens in many household cleaning chemicals, shampoos, body care products, et cetera, even plastic bottles, you get what's called aromatization. And this means that a lot of that total testosterone is not only becoming bioavailable as free tea, but it's also getting converted into estrogens. And so you have this cluster of, of low total testosterone, low free testosterone, high estrogen, high cortisol, high sex hormone binding globulin. And, you know, that, and that's really the uphill battle a lot of guys are facing these days. And there are certainly, you know, when you hear the reasons, it's not rocket science to figure out how to tackle this, right? Like stress control strategies, really good ancestral nutrient rich diet that has a lot of fatty acids in it, uh, avoidance of, of products that contain chemicals and plastics, mitigation of exposure to, to Wi-Fi and other electrical signals whenever possible. Uh, ensuring that your that your environment is cleaned up just from a from a pure air and toxin standpoint, you know, using low volatile organic compound or low VOC furniture, or using HEPA air filtration in your home, doing a mold analysis to make sure you're not getting exposed to mold and mycotoxins in your living environment, and you start to go after all these things while you know cleaning up any consumption of water from plastic bottles, and and that's that's really how you can mitigate some of the damage. And, uh, you know, in addition to that, I recently spoke at, at the uh, A4M, the Anti-Aging Medicine Conference for Physicians, and kind of gave a talk about a lot of things guys can do that are low-hanging fruit before going out and getting testosterone injections or creams or, or pellets or things like that. And, and there, there are ways that, that guys can naturally increase testosterone, you know, not only, not only the, the dietary strategies that I mentioned, like increased fatty acid consumption, but also basic nutrients, some of the biggies being creatine, boron, zinc, a full spectrum mineral complex, even maca root, and some of these herbs such as epimedium or horny goatweed or tribulus either increase libido just slightly, which makes you have more sex typically, which increases testosterone in and of itself, but may also cause a slight bump up in testosterone. And then from an exercise standpoint, you know, lifting heavy complex lifts like deadlifts and squats with long rest periods so that you're lifting heavy and exhausting the muscle combined with brief spouts of high intensity interval training with long rest periods and a real attention paid to working with your legs 
like yeah, the reason you, you do more exercise with your legs is your legs have the highest concentration of what are called androgen receptors. So the testosterone that is available in your bloodstream gets pulled into the muscles more readily via those androgen receptors. And so as you can see, not only can you limit the damage on one end via the HPA axis and, and some of this sex hormone binding globulin and cortisol, but then you can kind of fuel the testosterone fire on the other end with heavy lifting, high intensity interval training, long rest periods, and some of these basic minerals and nutrients that you can supplement with or, or put into a smoothie, for example. So, so those are, those are some of the things that you can do regarding testosterone and, and also why it's an issue. Yeah, it's pretty drastic. And those are great tips. I know um, some guys listen to this podcast, but a lot of women. So that will help hopefully a lot of husbands. Also, I recently had one of those decade birthdays that made me realize I'm not 21 anymore. And that a body my age that's had six kids functions a little differently than a younger body. And I know that you've been delving into the world of anti-aging and longevity. So I'd love to hear your current take on things that people can do to help you know, age gracefully or age in an appropriate way and, and slow the aging process to be, you know, not any faster than it has to be. Oh boy. Oh boy. There, there's a lot. I'm working on a big book on this right now, actually. And, um, what I'll do is I'll, from an anti-aging standpoint, let me give you, let's see, I'll give you three kind of, kind of like natural free tips and maybe three kind of more advanced anti-aging protocols. So, uh, from from a natural basic standpoint, we can look to the blue zones, and um, you know what? I'll go with five for the basic tips because really, there's what's called a Venn diagram, meaning that when you look at all these blue zones where there's a higher than normal number of centenarians, there are certain characteristics that are consistent across some of these major blue zones, like Loma Linda or Okinawa or Nicoya or Sardinia. Um, uh, what's another one? Um, I'm, I'm blanking. There, there, there's, there's one other I didn't name. But anyways, regardless, they all have a habit of not smoking. And I, you know, I'm, I'm back and forth on the whole like new era of vaping and e-cigarettes. I, I have a hunch that there's a little bit of lung damage that occurs, especially with some of these vape pens that have what's called propylene glycol in them. But there's, there's not a lot of data on the vaporizing. But we do know that that none of these areas uh, smoke. In addition to that, they have high intake of wild plants. They do a lot of like bilberries and lingonberries and dark leafy greens and and bitter melon and nettle and, and, and thyme and parsley and cilantro and plenty of rosemary. Like we see a, a high intake of spices and herbs compared to what you'd see in the Western diet. A lot of bitters, a lot of tannins, a lot of wines and coffees. And then you see a high intake of legumes, high intake of legumes, which probably is keeping their blood glucose pretty low. And I know that that lentils and the like kind of get thrown under the bus these days in the whole paleo circle or, you know, folks who endorse like a plant paradox type of diet. And I get it. If you have leaky gut or gut issues from living in a westernized society, and you need to fix that so you can return to a more ancestral diet. But it, it, eventually it appears pretty favorable to be including things like, you know, split mung beans and lentils and nuts and seeds and things like this in your diet, assuming they're fermented and soaked and sprouted and prepared accordingly. So the legumes, wild plant intake, not smoking, uh, low level physical activity during the day. We don't see a lot of folks stepping into CrossFit boxes or doing a lot of like very, very hard workouts. You know, in a, again, in, in an era where a lot of us are relegated to cubicles, I get the idea that if you're sitting all day or inactive all day, because your job kind of has forced you into that position, you have to compress a lot more exercise into a shorter period of time. And maybe going to the gym is a necessity for you. But if you can, 
you know, engage in low level physical activity during the day. Like right now, while we're talking, Katie, I'm walking on my treadmill, you know, and I'll walk maybe four miles a day on the treadmill. I'll pick up the hex bar in the room next to my office a few times for some heavy lifting. I'll do some pull-ups and just kind of sprinkle physical activity in throughout the day. You don't have to be a, a hunter or a gatherer or a construction worker or a painter or something like that. You can kind of kind of hack your environment to simulate that. And then you see finally a, a very large emphasis placed on love, life, relationships, belief in a higher power, the spiritual disciplines like fasting, meditation, silence, solitude, prayer, some type of worship. And and these are the characteristics that you see that, you know, if you think about it, those are all those are all relatively free or, or easy, right? Not smoking, legumes, wild plant intake, time spent in low-level physical activity, preferably outdoors if you can, and you know, prioritizing relationships and, and spiritual health. So so those are are kind of like the easy, easy pieces for for anti-aging and longevity. And then you know, there, there are a lot of crazy things people are doing now that, that really do move the dial, uh, like, uh, you know, uh, plasma phoresis or these, these blood exchanges or plasma exchanges where you can go to like the, the young blood Institute or ambrosia or one of these places in like the Silicon Valley. And in a sort of oil change for your body, have your, your plasma replaced with an infusion from that of a young, healthy donor, uh, some of your blood removed and and then re-injected with new plasma in it. And this is something that, that a lot of folks are doing and seeing some pretty profound improvements. It causes an increase in what's called GDF-11, which is a, a protein that, that has an anti-aging effect. So that that's one is blood exchanges is one that, that's pretty interesting. A lot of folks are taking uh, both metformin and rapamycin. Metformin being something that you know was once thought of as just a diabetic drug in the '90s, but it's it's now come to light that it has some some pretty profound improvements in uh, reducing the host of a lot of different chronic diseases like Alzheimer's and and cancer. You know, a lowering of inflammation. It, it does come with some side effects like nausea and gastric disturbances, possibly a little bit of mitochondrial damage. So probably not a great choice for an athlete. I don't take that one, but a lot of my friends in the anti aging sector do. Uh, I opt for I opt for a more natural approach, right? I use a lot of things that control blood sugar, like Ceylon cinnamon and apple cider vinegar and berberine and bitter melon extract, uh, curcumin. Like in my opinion, there's a lot of things that naturally simulate what metformin is doing. But I should name that a lot of a lot of folks are taking that. A lot of folks are also taking rapamycin, which is derived or was was found in a in a soil derived bacteria. It's a chemical that's created. Uh, they found it on Easter Island, and then the native name for the island is Rapa Nui, so they call it rapamycin. And uh, it's an immune system suppressant, but it also appears to increase lifespan pretty remarkably, like by thirty percent in mice. Not like average lifespan, but maximum lifespan, which is pretty unheard of. And uh, the problem is because it's an immune system suppressed and it can increase your risk of infection, some lung toxicity and some other issues. So that's another one I don't take, but it's, you know, that metformin rapamycin stack is certainly quite popular. Uh, And I'm just pulling out some fringe examples for you just just to give people an idea of, you know, what folks on the cutting edge are doing. And then there's this idea of telomerase, telomerase being something that would increase your telomeres, right? Like like meditation and yoga and exercise and sunshine, that'll decrease the rate at which your telomeres shorten. But you can also just increase your telomerase capacity to be able to lengthen the telomeres, not just keep them from shortening. So rather than just like keeping yourself from dying, you'd actually be extending life. And, you know, for like 800 bucks, you can get a bottle of, of TAM 818 uh, from uh, defyaging.com. 
uh, for I think closer to 600, you can get TA 65 made by TI sciences. I think that one's even on Amazon. Uh, there's, there's another kind of cluster. There, there's a one that I like. It's a little Chinese adaptogenic herb complex with a whole bunch of astragalus in it. That one's called Tian Chi. And you, you can take some of these supplements that increase telomerase activity. And there's some, some very interesting research and even gene therapy delivery mechanisms being based around that. So, I mean, well, just, just one chapter of my book is nearly 80 pages long on, on anti-aging and longevity. So I could go on and on, but, but those are just a few examples for you. I'll make sure the book, um, well, you have several, you have many books. I'll make sure they're linked in the show notes so people can go deeper if they want to. Yeah. Well, th- this book, uh, it's not out. It, w- it won't be out till next year, but it, but it's called, uh, well, the, the website for it currently is discoverkey.com, but I'm playing around with names for it. So I don't, you know, I just go to bengreenfieldfitness.com and, and eventually I'll, I'll publish it in my newsletter or whatever and let people know when they can, they can pre-order. But, uh, yeah, it's one of those deals with the publishing industry. You know how it goes, Katie. It's it's like uh, back and forth on titles and where the book website's going to be and all that jazz. But the book exists at least. It's all written. Awesome. Well, we will wait with bated breath for that one. And I'll wait till you let me know about it and share as well. Uh, another concept you write about a lot and explain really well is the idea of hormesis or making yourself harder to kill. And I know that you um, do a lot of things to do this and you're also a competitive athlete. So you have this built in. But how can moms and families do this and, and explain what it means? Yeah, hormesis is this idea that uh, things that damage the cells just slightly result in an upregulation of some of the natural built-in defense mechanisms of those cells, like their antioxidant production. And the the cell and the body overall becomes more resilient. So for example, something that would be bad for you in high amounts, but good for you in low amounts would fall into the category of hormesis. So sunshine, right? It's good for you in low amounts, but stay out in the sunshine too long, you're going to get cancer and excess damage the heat, right? Like sauna exposure, you upregulate your heat shock protein, the cells become more resilient. You stay in the sauna for two hours, you might have a cardiovascular incident from mineral loss, but you know, short exposure to sauna, cold, short, short daily exposures to cold showers, cold soaks, cold baths. And, you know, as anybody knows, if you stay in an ice bath or something like that for too long, you're just exhausted all day. And it's probably not that great for the immune system, but, but short exposures have a hormetic effect. Then there is uh you know, wild plant intake, right? Wild plants have this built-in natural defense mechanism. And this is probably why they confer longevity to the blue zones upon consumption, because they actually increase your body's own antioxidant defense mechanisms when you consume them. And your body kind of has to fight against a little bit of what this wild plant is doing to defend itself. If I could throw one other interesting example at you that's kind of shocking, but when you look at some of the rodent models around Chernobyl in radiation areas, they're actually living longer. So there's even this evidence that mild, low-level amounts of radiation could be good for you. And I think that might be tied into the concept of like earthing and grounding and going outside barefoot. Like the earth emits a natural, very low level of radiation. And I suspect that, you know, in addition to what are called the electromagnetic frequencies, that you get when you're walking outside and doing what's called earthing or grounding. I suspect we're getting just a little dose of radiation too that that could also confer this hormetic effect. So so those are some examples. That makes sense. And those are easy to implement as well. I guess um, I think of like Jessa, for instance, your wife, she's amazing, but I it, like all these biohacking things that you do and that I'm so interested in just out of curiosity. Um, and I remember talking with her about it and asking her if she does all of this and she's like, no, I just don't think it has to be that hard, but yet she maintains good health. And she like all the things you've said, I think of Jessa, she moves all day, taking care of the garden or the kids or the animals 
or whatever. And she, you guys eat very clean and she seems to have mastered it. So I feel like she's a good like mom role model when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my perspective on this is, you know, some people are like, oh, well, that's unfair. I have to take supplements, my blood work and my biomarkers and my functional medicine doc and my integrative medical practitioner. They've got me on, you know, all these supplements and, and, you know, how come Jessica Greenfield does okay? Well, part of this is genetics. Like we, when we look at a lot of these blue zones, not to kick that horse to death, like a lot of these people living a long time, despite their lifestyle, not because of it. Like they, uh, they, they don't necessarily do all this biohacking. We could certainly, even though this might sound paradoxical to my no smoking comment, we can find like cigarette smoking old grandmas who are 110, but they like their cigarette smoke is playing bridge every night surrounded by love and life and relationships and laughter. And they, they probably have some pretty hardy genetic factors like glutathione production and antioxidant production that helps to kind of protect them against some of those things. And then we, we see other people who are you know, like me, I'm a, like, I don't want to sound orthorexic, but I'm a genetic mess. Like, like I've got low glutathione production and I've got like, uh, I've, I've got low BDNF, like brain derived neurotrophic factor production. I've got the inability to be able to make vitamin D from sunlight. I've got uh, the ApoE34 gene, meaning that a lot of these saturated fats are highly inflammatory for me, you know, and, and then you test my wife's genetics and she's like, got almost nothing going on that would be like a, a flag from a genetic standpoint. So sometimes we're just dealt a certain genetic card. And some people to really feel good, like need to take a few extra steps to be able to, to, to live a long time or, or to operate without brain fog or sleep well or whatever else. So a big part of his genetics. And then part of it too is she, she is living a pretty natural lifestyle as you've alluded to. Like I'm inside on computers. I'm still exposed to signals. I'm, I'm not outdoors, uh, as much as I'd love to be, you know, and, and I love my job writing and podcasting and, and, and being an author. But I mean, you know, if I were just like a hunter or maybe a, a construction worker or something like that, like I probably would have to take fewer supplements and kind of mitigate the damage less. Cause I'm not flying all over the globe. I'm not disrupting my circadian rhythm. I'm not getting exposed to all these modern post-industrial assailants, you know, my wife pushes the wheelbarrow around and gives alfalfa to the goats and takes care of the chickens. And she's out with the soil-based probiotics in the garden. And she's with the sunlight and the fresh air. And I think right now she's out on a hike with the dog. And so, you know, that natural lifestyle does dictate uh, a lower need for some of these, these biohacks, et cetera, as well. So there's a lot of factors, but ultimately it comes down to A, your genetics and B, you know, what kind of uphill battle are you fighting? You know, if you're blessed enough to have a very natural ancestral lifestyle, yeah, there's a lot less of this that you need to do when it comes to a lot of these modern, you know, technologies or biohacks or, or supplements, so to speak. Yeah, that's such a great point. This podcast is sponsored by Thrive Market, a company I have personally loved for years and that continues to just get better and better. I use their free app all the time to order my pantry staples and to order products from companies that I love. And I always turn to their Thrive Market brand for even better discounts. Here's a tip. Use the app like you would use a shopping list. Add things as you think of them or as you run out or as you meal plan. Then once you hit the threshold to get free shipping, your order will be ready to go. And here's another secret. 
Thrive often runs free gift with purchase offers just for members as a thank you. So keep an eye out for those and take advantage of ordering when it's something that you like. I usually choose to order on days when there's a gift I love, when I've already reached the free shipping threshold, and I've gotten some awesome free products over the years by doing this. You can find out more about all of these and get an extra discount if it's your first order by going to thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. Again, that's thrivemarket.com forward slash Katie. This episode is brought to you by Kettle and Fire Bone Broth and Soups. I have used these products for years and I always keep my pantry well stocked. They have chicken bone broth, beef bone broth, and a new chicken mushroom bone broth, which is delicious. Those are all great as a base for soups or even just sipped on their own. But Kettle and Fire also now has tomato, butternut, and miso soups, which are often incorporated as part of a meal in our house. Their newest products are a grass-fed chili and a Thai chicken soup. These are great meals all on their own, and they make last-minute dinner so easy at my house. Their broths are made from grass-fed and pastured animal bones, and they're a great source of collagen and amino acids like proline and glycine. I incorporate collagen in some form every day, and Kettle and Fire makes it super tasty to do this. You can learn more. Go to kettleandfire.com forward slash wellnessmama and use the code wellnessmama20 to save 20% on your order. So again, Kettle and Fire, all spelled out K-E-T-T-L-E-A-N-D-F-I-R-E.com forward slash wellnessmama and make sure to use the code wellnessmama20 to save 20%. You mentioned that you travel a lot and I think, I feel like I travel a lot and you travel so much more than I do. Do you have any tips for staying healthy while traveling? Because I know that's a big issue for moms, especially with kids. Yeah. Well, the circadian rhythm piece I mentioned earlier, that whole light blasting in the morning thing is important. A few of the, few of the non-negotiables for me when I travel is uh, A, I I get outside barefoot, earthing or grounding as soon as I can after that flight. I'm I'm the guy in the, the back parking lot of the hotel my bare feet in the parking lot doing some yoga, you know, in the, in the morning when I, when I wake up and I've checked in, I get outside. Uh, and, uh, you can also travel with what are called pulsed electromagnetic field devices that if you can't get outside, let's say you're in freaking Vegas or something, it's so difficult to get outdoors. And, you know, and those are that maze of casinos, you can use these handheld devices to kind of simulate that grounding or earthing effect. And I do that as well. You can go listen to my interview with Dr. William Pollock on my website. Uh, that's P-A-W-L-U-K to learn more about those type of grounding devices. I do uh, some natural anti-inflammatories, particularly sulfur-based anti-inflammatories, like a large intake of cruciferous vegetables, uh, supplementation with things like glutathione or curcumin. Garlic extract is also quite good. Like any, any of those really do a good job upregulating the specific pathways that get activated during airline travel. And another one is ketone esters. And I like those because I don't eat a lot when I travel. I wait. It's good for the circadian rhythm. It's good for clearing inflammation. It's just one less inflammatory battle the body has to fight during airline travel. But I will use some of these ketone esters or ketone salts because they have a double whammy effect of keeping your appetite satiated while being in a relatively fasted state while also causing a little bit of an anti-inflammatory effect. And then uh, a, a couple of others that I would recommend to folks uh, for, for airline travel specifically uh, would be uh, hydrogen-rich water. If you can get some hydrogen-rich wa- rich tablets that you can add to the first few glasses of water that you have when you finish traveling, very good anti-inflammatory effect for the type of, of issues that occur when you travel. And then uh, when I'm traveling across multiple time zones, 
particularly west to east. Higher dose melatonin is pretty effective for west to east travel. And this would be, when I say higher dose, usually if I'm traveling internationally, the first night I take like 40 to 60 milligrams of melatonin, a lot of it. And then for the remaining time spent in in that area, I'll usually use about three to 10 milligrams a night. And that works very well for me in taking care of some of the down regulation of melatonin production by the pineal gland that you get during travel. There's a lot more somewhere on my website. I've got an article about like 15 different ways to reduce jet lag, but those are a few of the biggies for me. Awesome. We'll make sure to link to that article as well. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk to you about something that uh, you don't often talk about. I feel like you are very well established as an expert in all things nutrition and health and biohacking, but something else I'd love to talk to you about that you don't speak publicly about very much and I hope you're okay with is parenting and raising exceptional kids because you and Jessa have twin boys and they're awesome. My kids love them. They've got they've gotten to play before and um, I'd love to hear some of your parenting philosophies and go a little bit deep on that because I know that we share that, the idea of trying to raise kids who um, actually do good for the world when they're adults and who contribute in a meaningful way. So just take us through an overview of some of the ways that you and Jessa have done that with your boys. Yeah. I'll give you three examples. One would be when it comes to increasing physical fitness in your children, there's a very interesting study at University of Essex where they had children do what's called a bleep test or a beep test where you, where you the beeper sounds and you run to the cone and the beeper sounds again and you run back to the original cone and you're running from cone to cone in increasingly shorter intervals. And the children who performed best on that test, once you isolated for, you know, for for wealth and you know, weight and all these other factors, uh, were the children who had parents that they perceived to be physically active, meaning that the amount to which you are either including your children in your workouts, which can be annoying, but is also a, a good thing to do, uh, or your kids even see you working out, meaning you're not getting up at 4 a.m. before they're up, or if you are, you're also like maybe going on a walk with your kids or letting them see you take those Pomodoro breaks during work to swing the kettlebell or your, your horse playing or wrestling with your kids at night. Anything they do that sees physical activity or engages them in physical activity with their parents appears to directly improve their their fitness, kind of even regardless of how much they're working out. It's just like osmosis kind of. So that was a very interesting study. So include your kids in your workouts or let them see you working out. Another one from an educational standpoint is we homeschooled for a while, but my wife is somewhat dyslexic. She does not have the heart of a teacher, didn't enjoy school. And I travel so much that it was kind of unfair to the kids even though I love to teach, I just wasn't there all the time for them. So we placed them into a private school. But my philosophy on, on public or private education is this, that it actually is useful for your child to learn how to work well with others, cooperate in group situations, be a good little factory worker, maybe not have that lone wolf independent mentality with regards to everything, and instead learn, learn kind of a a combination of, of individualism and, and group cooperation. And I think that the school does very well for that. And I also consider it to be kind of a form of outsourcing. Like I just, I don't want to relearn calculus and teach that to my kids. I just don't have, have the time. And I, I don't necessarily want to, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm going to be the best Spanish teacher for them because I only took a year of it in college, et cetera. And so if you take that route, you do need to understand the minute your child walks in the door from school, your job as a parent begins to unschool them. 
meaning that I'll take them outside to shoot the bow and I'll drive them to cooking classes or mom will, will take them to, to tennis or we'll go downstairs and I'll teach them meditation and manifestation or we'll do like sauna to ice to sauna again, like all these kind of like more ancestral things or self-improvement tactics or just general lifestyle skills that they're not going to learn in school. And so if you do that one-two whammy, I think it works out very well. It's kind of a combination of outsourcing the education, but also understanding your role as a parent with the whole like unschooling process. And then finally, we use what's called kind of like a love and logic approach to parenting, meaning that rather than saying no to our children, which we very rarely do, rather than limiting candy or gluten or alcohol or anything else, we instead educate our kids about the consequences of their decisions and then let them make the ultimate decision. For example, there is no rule that our kids can't have the cupcakes and the birthday cake at the party that they go to or the bread that's brought up to the table at the restaurant that we go to. But I have simply educated them about gluten, you know, what it does to your nervous system, how it might affect performance at school the next day. They might not have a great night of sleep. You know, it could cause a little bit of, of gastric inflammation, et cetera. And then I, I also, you know, I, I buy them this uh, gluten digesting enzyme they can use if they would like to. And then they just, they can make the decision themselves. Usually they'll go to a birthday party and they'll be like, dad, the cake was, was so good. I only had about a quarter slice because I, you know, I know it wasn't a gluten-free cake, but I, I had had some and it was, it was pretty good. And, and uh, you know, sometimes I'll go to the refrigerator and have a shot of like restore or something if they're concerned it had glyphosate in it. And, you know, I, I try to do a good job educating them about these things, but I, I never would say, don't eat the bread. You know, you can go to Jimmy's birthday party, but you better not go near those cupcakes. I mean, in that situation, they're going to like steal three cupcakes and hide them away under their bed because that's the forbidden fruit all of a sudden, you know, or another example would be like alcohol. You know, alcohol wasn't really a, a thing for me growing up. Kids just didn't drink alcohol. Why not? I don't know. You're just not allowed to go near it. So my first experience with alcohol was somebody gave my dad a really nice bottle of scotch. And I saw it there on his desk and it was alcohol and nobody was looking and it looked like kind of cool and sexy in that glass bottle. So I took it to my room and I, I drank it. I think I was 15, I want to say, and I got drunk in my room. And that was my first experience with alcohol was getting drunk in my room. That's not a good first healthy experience. Some people be like, oh, you learn your lesson the hard way. But no, like our kids, when like a new shipment of wine arrives, we're, we're sitting around the dinner table, you know, I'll, I'll give them a taste in a little shot glass and say, you taste those herbs and those tannins and what kind of flavor notes do you get on this wine? They'll take a little sip and and, and they get a, this really healthy relationship. And, you know, there's no way wine is going to be a forbidden fruit for our kids because they'll get little sips and tastes here and there. And yeah, maybe a social worker is going to show up at my door someday and, you know, and say, Hey, I heard on a, heard on a podcast, you're giving alcohol to your kids, but you know, you, you get the idea, you educate your children about the consequences of their decisions. And then you let them make the decision. And if the consequences are dire, right, if you're at the New York subway and they're about to step onto the platform and get hit by a subway train, you grab them and rip them away and say no, right? But if it's a hot stove and your two-year-old toddler is going near the hot stove and you say, stove hot, owie, stove hot, owie, careful, and they go to the stove and they touch it anyways, well, yeah, told them the consequences. <laughs> they tried it. They're going to have to deal with consequences now. And I, I guarantee they'll have a much healthier relationship with the hot stove going forward. So, you know, let your children fall, let them make mistakes, but make sure you also educate them about the consequences of their decision. So hopefully they make a more wise decision when the time comes. Absolutely. I share your 
your ideas on that. And um, I feel like a lot in a lot of modern society, we've gotten such a focus on keeping kids safe that we do. We tell them no on things that are perfectly logical to let them do, like playing outside or climbing big trees or doing things that are scary. And then, but we say yes to things like screen time, which is actually really bad for their brain. Um, and what do you do about things like screen time? Do you just educate on that as well? Or are there actual limits in your house? No, they, they can use the phone, computer as much as they want. They can have the Wi-Fi on the phone if they want to. But, you know, I told them, you know, the Wi-Fi, you get that near your little little balls and, you know, you, you can actually cause sperm damage. You may risk your actual babies that you have later in life having physical or mental deficits. It's not good for your body. It's not good for the little rapidly dividing cells in your brain. Here's my phone if you need to use it uh, or if you want to mess around with an app on it or something. But here you go, son. I, I try to put my phone on airplane mode, son. Here you go. And you just let them make the make the decision based on what you've educated them about. And, you know, and we, you know, my kids have little laptops that got sent home with them from school. And so I bought them little like laptop shielding pads for their laps. And there's no requirement that they use them, but I use it. I told them what it was for. Right. And lo and behold, they use their little screens every time they get on those computers. And they see me after about 6 p.m. wearing my blue light blocking glasses when I'm on the computer. And I bought them both, you know, two sets of blue light blocking glasses, one for clear during the day, one for red and orange during the night. And they see dad doing that. And so they do it, too. But there is no requirement. If they don't wear them, I don't say go put them on. I simply make sure often to point out the fact that, hey, son, I'm wearing my blue light blocking glasses because it's after six, but I'm going to sleep amazingly tonight. It's pretty rare that my son will look up and, and nod his head and look away. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go get mine. I'm going to go get mine. They're upstairs. you know. But I could have said, dude, son, go put on your blue light blocking glasses now or you're on timeout for 10 minutes. Like That is just a, a, a crappy approach to parenting in my opinion. So, so yeah, that's how we approach kind of like the screen technology issue. And truly that applies to so many aspects of life, you know, beyond just even, you know, screens or alcohol or all the things we've talked about and realizing as parents that our kids still have the, like they have independence, they have free will, even as much as we sometimes may not want them to, and they're going to find ways to exert their independence or to try new things or things they're curious about. So it seems much healthier to just have the conversations, educate and have that kind of communication. Have you found with your boys that that's led to a very much two-way communication with them and they're willing to come to you with anything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, uh, there's a pretty open line of communication in our house. I mean, we're, we're, we're very open, transparent people. You know, I mean, it, it confuses people sometimes because we're, we're a Christian family, but we're not very uptight. It's like mom and I, we're going to have sex. We're just, we just tell our kids like, Hey, we're going to have sex, uh, go read books or whatever. And don't bug us. And, you know, and our kids just no, like it's not like this weird, mysterious thing. They're like mom and dad are making love. Like that's what that's what a, a married couple who is in love does, you know. And and so, yeah, I, I know when, where I was growing up, I didn't even know like sex existed until I was like 11, you know, and it was a totally different world for me. And I, you know, I figured out most of I, what I know about it from, you know, a, a modem and, and, and porn and a, and a computer in the early days of the internet. Like that was, you know, I discovered sex, you know, that's, that's not how you want your kid to discover sex. You know, that, that's just one simple example, but yeah, it's a very open, transparent household and our kids can come to us and, and talk to us about anything. And I cry in front of them and I admit my mistakes in front of them. And I tell them when I'm being a, a, a bad father, you know, if I feel like I made a poor decision the prior day, because I, let's say I skipped some Friday assembly they have to, to do a call that wasn't 100% necessary. Like I'll sit down the next day and be like, listen, guys, dad feels bad. I made a bad move yesterday. I give a bad example to use a father. I, 
I didn't have to take that call. And I really wish I could have gone to your, your assembly and, and seen the talk that you gave. And so, yeah, I mean, we're, we're very, very open in our household and open and, and transparent. So I love that. And I'm curious with the combination of, I mean, you as a professional athlete and a biohacker and then Jess's more laid back, just like full life approach, where do they fall? Have they gotten interested in all the health stuff you do or do they try some of it? Where do they fall in that? They go back, like they have a little juve light and they have a little biomat and they have a little blue light blocking glasses and an essential oil diffuser in their room. And they kind of go back and forth. You know, what's funny is a lot of times when they're just like at home with me and mom's gone, like they do more of the stuff with me just because they're hanging out with dad doing what dad does. And, you know, when, when, when mom's home, it's like a lot of times they're more just like, you know, out feeding the chickens and, you know, helping to drag alfalfa and whatever. So it's kind of interesting. It goes back and forth, but I think they're kind of like me. They got... Yeah, one foot planted in the realm of ancestral wisdom and another foot planted in the realm of modern science. And I'm hoping they develop a healthy relationship with both. Um, As we wrap up, any book recommendations? I know in a minute we'll talk about all the places people can find you and read your work. But are there any other books that you didn't write that have really had an impact on your life? Let me give you three examples of books that I like that maybe folks aren't super familiar with. One would be Poor Charlie's Almanac by Charlie Munger, uh, the guy who is the partner with Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway. Fantastic book on kind of like human illogical fallacies and the way humans operate and how to negotiate and and just how to understand humans better. It's it's a good good uh, book of wisdom. Another one that's uh, that's pretty good, even though you mentioned that I have a journal. Uh, there's another pretty cool journal out there that's uh, Benjamin Franklin's little journal that you can find on Amazon and you just answer the question, what good will I do this day? And then at the end of the day, what good have I done this day? But there's little like questions in there as you go that are kind of like study questions, you know, like what's one thing that you could change in your local community that would make your neighborhood a better place? And how could you go about doing that this week? You know, just like little thought provoking questions like that. So that's, that's a cool little, little diary a lot of people aren't aware of. And then uh, the last one, let me think. There's a lot of really good books out there, but let me think along the lines of what your audience is interested in or maybe doesn't know about. And uh, I would say, you know, let let me tell you a book that I'm reading right now that's actually fascinating on uh, mold and mycotoxin and Lyme. Probably one of the best books I've read on the topic. And I know a lot of people are kind of concerned about that these days. And so I'm, I'm going to recommend this book because it it was really, really good with respect to this. Uh, it's called Toxic Heal Your Body by Dr. Neil Nathan. Toxic Heal Your Body by Dr. Neil Nathan. Really good read if you're kind of interested in becoming a complete ninja on this whole mold mycotoxin Lyme thing. I love all of those. I'll make sure they're in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. And Ben, where can people find you and stay in touch online? I do a free blog and a, and a podcast every week at bengreenfieldfitness.com and do newsletters that have like weekly roundups and features in them of all the new things I'm trying. And and uh, that's a pretty good place to start is bengreenfieldfitness.com. And then I also uh, formulate supplements and also have a coaching program for trainers and nutritionists and physicians and chiropractic docs and people who want to learn more from me. And that's all over at getkeon.com. K-I-O-N, getkeon.com. So those are a couple good places to to get in touch with me or to see more of what I'm doing. Perfect. Those links will be in the show notes. And Ben, I know how busy you are. I'm really appreciative you were here with us today. Thank you for your time. Hey, thanks, Katie. That was fun. And thanks to all of you guys for listening. I hope you'll join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. 
If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.